You are listening to Building the Church in the City, a Bay City Church sermon series on the book of Nehemiah. For this and more video and audio resources, visit baycity.church. Well, good morning, uh, Bay City. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, I've met some of you before, uh, but in some ways I feel like I'm part of the Bay City family, or at least the Bay City story to some degree. Uh, I live here in San Francisco. And I met Eddie a few years back when he was still living in Salt Lake City and we were both attending a pastor's conference. And I don't know if you've ever been to Salt Lake City or to Utah. Um, There are not a lot of people that look like Eddie. And and so I I wanted to meet him. I was like, man, Eddie, you know, how did you get here? I knew there was a story there. And so I introduced myself and uh, Eddie told me a bit of his story that he grew up in the Bay Area and that he hoped to move back there someday to start a church. And I told Eddie, man, it's, it's crazy that we're meeting because uh, I work for an organization called The Orchard Group, and we help people like you start churches in cities like San Francisco. And so it was a providential meeting, and that conversation started a relationship that led to Eddie and Sarah moving to San Francisco, doing a short residency at the church I attend, Redemption Church, and partnering with Orchard Group to plant Bay City Church. And so I've had the amazing pleasure of having kind of a front row seat, even though I'm not here every week, to what God is doing in and through Bay City Church. And so it's been awesome to see this church begin to take root and begin its mission again of being a diverse family of people dedicated to encountering Jesus, pursuing Jesus, and proclaiming Jesus in the city and beyond. Uh, I love it. I love Bay City Church. I'm a huge fan, and I'm thankful to play a small part in the story that God is writing in and through you guys. And so, but if I'm honest, uh, when Eddie told, asked me if I could preach, at first I was like, yeah, sure, great. And then he gave me this text. Um, <laughs> I was a little frustrated. I was like, come on, Eddie, like, you're going to give me two verses of story and like 34 verses of names and places that I thought I was going to have to pronounce, so props to Jesse. Um, (laughs) And I have to wake up an hour earlier. I mean, like, come on, man. Um, And and I'm kind of joking, but I'm kind of serious. I really was like, what what am I going to say there? Um, And so as I prayed and I began to study this text, I kept reminding myself of a verse that I I come to you all the time, which is 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17. And, And I love this text, and it says this. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I mean, I like clung on to that verse when I came to Nehemiah 11. This has got to be true, right, God? I clung on to it as a reminder and a promise that, that all of this, that all of these texts, that all of the Bible, even the parts that feel obscure, are, are designed for our benefit, so that when we engage with them, we might emerge equipped and ready for good work. And it was amazing as I studied Nehemiah 11 to see that there's some great stuff in this chapter that I'm excited to share. So let me pray for us, and then let's just jump in. Uh, Father God, what a privilege to come and be together as a family to open your word and to hear from you. Uh, One of the things that I love, God, in reading big lists of names is it's a reminder that you know individual stories. You know the people in this room. You know their names. You know our names. And you know our story. And so, God, we all come here from different places, longing to hear from you, needing to hear from you. Even if we're skeptical, God, we'd love to hear from you. And so, God, I pray that through your word, your Holy Spirit would speak, and each of us in our own way would hear your voice, and we'd be challenged deeper in our faith or drawn to you for the first time. And so, God, use your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So if you're new today, or if you've missed a few weeks, Bay City has been studying the book of Nehemiah, which is a book in the Bible from the Old Testament, and it tells the historical record of the rebuilding and the repopulation of the city of Jerusalem around 440, 430 B.C., Uh, If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you might remember that much of the Old Testament, its content is the story and the calling of this small nation of Israel. These people, they go from this small family, Abraham's family, and then they become a large nomadic tribe. They end up in Egypt, but they leave Egypt. They become a small nation, and they eventually have a, a land, and they have a capital city, Jerusalem. And it's there in Jerusalem that God calls them to build a temple, which for the Jews is the center of their religious life. It's what makes Jerusalem a holy city for the Jews. Jerusalem is also where the Jewish kings and the rulers live. It's this incredibly important place. It's like the heartbeat, the capital. It's the center of their nation and their faith. And the book of Nehemiah, it opens, though, not in Jerusalem, but in the city called Susa. This is an entirely different city. It's an administrative capital of an entirely different nation. It's about a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. It couldn't start almost farther away. And Nehemiah, kind of the, the, the key character here, he's a Jew. He's serving in the royal court of the Persian king, Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes. And, and it's a bit of a complicated story how Nehemiah ends up in Susa. And I'm going to try to give it a bit of an abbreviated version. But essentially what happened is that decades before Nehemiah was even born, uh, the Jewish people, his tribe, his, his family, uh, his nation, they were in Israel and in Jerusalem, but they began giving themselves up to idolatry and to the worship of foreign gods. And God, he began to send prophets to the Jewish people to remind them of God's love for them and to warn them against the folly and the foolishness of worshiping false gods that would disappoint them. And most of these prophets, they were ignored or they were rejected. And eventually God, he allows the Jews to be conquered by the Babylonians. And he allows Jerusalem to be destroyed. And most of the Jewish people, they're forcefully taken captive. They're moved out of their nation to various places in the Babylonian empire. I like what one writer describes this this, this dynamic and this purity says this. He says, Israel pursued the idols of nations. First, their hearts journeyed into the far country. In exile, the rest of them followed. They are a people without a home. They are a combination of slaves, of refugees, of immigrants scattered in and amongst a foreign empire. It's a dark and a trying season of exile as the people of God, the Jewish people, face the consequences for the rebellion and their idolatry and their disobedience. But the book, now the book of Nehemiah opens, and God is beginning to call them home. Uh, the story of the book of Nehemiah is God calling a wayward people home. Remember that. The story of Nehemiah is God calling a wayward people home. And the Babylonians, eventually, they end up getting, they, who, the people who destroyed Jerusalem, and they took the Jews captive, they're eventually destroyed and defe- or defeated by the Persians. And the Persians, this whole different empire, and they allow the Jews to return home, which is where they will eventually rebuild the temple. If you've ever read the book of Ezra, that's what that story covers, and Ezra and Nehemiah are really closely linked if you're interested in any of that. But when Nehemiah begins, Jerusalem remains in ruins, particularly the walls of Jerusalem. The Jewish people, they don't want to live there because the walls are damaged, and they have no protection from their enemies. And they have no functioning city center, and so they cannot truly rebuild their society and their country. And this is what God calls Nehemiah to change. This is the burden on his heart, to rebuild and repopulate the Jewish capital, Jerusalem. Uh, The people had been returning to Israel for decades, and now they had rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem as we move through the book of Nehemiah. But chapter 7, verse 4 says this. It says, The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few. No houses had been rebuilt. 
And that's kind of the context of where our text in Nehemiah 11 uh, begins. People have returned home to the nation and the land of Israel, but they have yet to return to the city of Jerusalem. God has called this wayward people home to the land of Israel, and now he is calling some of them to make their home in the city of Jerusalem. And what's great about this text is I believe God is doing something similar today. He is calling a diverse group of people spread out amongst nations to join together and to make this city our home, to live here in San Francisco as citizens of God's kingdom, living by his standards, living by his ethics to accomplish his mission for his glory. That is why I've entitled my message today, Making Your Home in the City. Making Your Home in the City, that's what we're talking about today. And we're going to look about why, uh, why God calls people to make their home in the city and a few characteristics God desires from the people he's calling. All right? Does that sound good to everybody? Okay, good. Uh, I know in a room like this, there's going to be a mixture of people. Some of you have lived in San Francisco for a long time, and there's going to be some people who are relatively new, maybe even like fresh off the airplane. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, you might have got here, but um, some of you were born here and you chose to make your home here a long time ago. Uh, if that's you, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for staying when there's been incredible pressure to leave, when you might feel like you have been trying, people are trying to push you out time and time again. This city needs people like you. We need your perspective. We need your story. We need your memory. And your rootedness in this city, it strengthens all of us. And to those of you who are new to the city, we need you too. But there can be a temptation, if you're new, to view your time here as kind of a stop on your own personal journey where you'll gain something from San Francisco, maybe work experience, maybe cultural experience, maybe romantic relationships. And if you're not careful, what can happen is that your relationship with this city, the Bay Area, can become one where all you do is take. It can be one-sided and selfish. And when it's no longer worth it or when it's too expensive or when a better opportunity comes, you're gone. God calls you to more than that. For however long you're here, if you're like, I'm only going to be here for a year or three years or five years, God calls you to make your home here, to put down roots here for as long as you're here, to give back, to sacrifice, to do more than take. Friends, God is calling us together to make a home in this city. And, and ironically, I don't know if you guys have um, ever read these stats. I think this is really interesting. This came out this year and a lot of articles written about it. But whether you're here for a long time or you're new, uh, many of us don't actually want to be here. It, it seems funny because there's so many people moving here. But statistically, uh, the PR firm Edelman, it did this research data poll and it revealed that 50% of Bay Area residents uh, considered moving, are considering moving out of San Francisco or the Bay Area because of the high cost of housing. And that number jumps to 66% for millennials and it's 63% of parents with kids in their homes. That, that's crazy. 50 to 60% of your neighbors in this city are thinking of moving somewhere else because it's difficult to be here. And so in light of that, in light of that statistic, the context we live, the book of Nehemiah might actually have something to teach us about how to persevere and make this city our home. Okay? Cool. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 1 again. If you have a Bible, you want to open it up. I think it's going to come up on the screen potentially. Uh, Nehemiah 11, verse 1. It says this again. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring, out, uh, one out, to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. It, it seems like the people of Jerusalem, of Israel, the people of Israel didn't want to live in Jerusalem. That's why they cast lots. Um, if you're not familiar with casting lots, it's not something we do all the time here. It's kind of like a lottery system. 
And one of the common ways that they would do that was each family would kind of write their name on a rock and they put these rocks in a bowl and a person would like spin a bowl around their head and the first rock that came out, that was like the winner or like in this case, like the loser, like you have to move to Jerusalem. Um, and this would have been done time and time again until one out of every 10 families had been chosen to leave their rural home or their small town and move into Jerusalem. And there were a number of reasons why this might have felt like a disappointment, why people might not have wanted to live in Jerusalem. This was, again, a pre-industrial economy, uh, and much of a person's livelihood was attached to owning land and having flocks and agriculture. And so moving into a city likely meant giving up the financial stability of owning land and owning flocks. Uh, Additionally, they might have had a fear of safety, right? Until recently, Jerusalem didn't have any protected walls. It had been destroyed not that long ago. If you wanted to take over a nation at the time, you'd attack its major city, you would destroy it, you'd take it over, and then the surrounding areas would become a part of your nation. And so they know that just recently our city had been a target, and they, they would have to trust that in these new walls that had been rebuilt that they would be sufficient. Uh, if they were, they were probably safer than living in the, in the countryside, but if they weren't, then there was a risk they might die or become captives and attack again. And so they, they might have been afraid of, for their own safety. And and finally, I wonder if there's just sort of a fear of change. Many of these people, they would have returned from exile. They would have established a life for themselves in their their rural area or in their town. They would have had relationships. They would have had culture and rhythms and patterns of life. And now they're being asked to give those up for something different and something new. Their way of life was going to have to be different. It's going to have to change. The the future they imagined for the kids, you know, the high school they thought their kids were going to go to was going to be different. Uh, Their lives were going to change, and that might have caused some fear for them. And so you think about it, fear of financial loss, fear of safety, fear of change. Our context and our stories might be different, but our fears are the same. Is anybody here worried about the cost of your housing? Like, like I legitimately am. Uh, is anyone afraid of the landlord raising the rent or selling the building? Anybody here worried about your family's safety? Uh, just yesterday, we were at the beach, and uh, my wife was telling me, oh, yeah, yeah, we were here last week, and one of the kids picked up a needle, and... Um, you know, we're nervous about that, right? Anyone nervous about uh, having to talk to your black or brown son about what happens when they encounter the police? Anybody worried about change, that there won't be people like you in this city anymore? Are you afraid of the change that's happening all around us? Maybe our stories aren't that different than the people in the book of Nehemiah. The people of Israel, they had fears about making their home in this city, and so do we. And yet God, he is calling, he is asking some of us to make our home here together to stay, to persevere, to overcome our fears, and to trust him with our future here. Uh, In this chapter, we're going to find a few characteristics of the people that God is calling to make their home in Jerusalem, and and I think these characteristics also apply to those he's calling to make their home in the Bay Area. And so I'm going to give you three things, very simple things, that God desires from the people he is calling to make their home in the city. Here's the very first one. God desires a willing people. God desires a willing people. After the lots were cast to determine who was being chosen to live in Jerusalem, verse 2, it says this, the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. It's kind of interesting. They have this lot casting, and then there's this blessing of those who went willingly. And it's not entirely clear what's happening. If, it, if the people who were chosen by casting lots were kind of given an opportunity to confirm or agree that they wanted to move to Jerusalem, or if there was like an additional group of people that was like, hey, we want to go. Uh, the text isn't super clear, but, but my hunch is that the people who were chosen by lots had the opportunity to kind of reject that lottery and stay where they were living. 
but many willingly agreed to follow and obey this calling. They accepted God's call to make their home in the city, and they trusted him with their future. They counted the cost of the sacrifices they would be making, and they chose to join this movement of people who would be making their home in the rebuilt Jerusalem. Was that a risky decision? Yes. Did it require sacrifice? Undoubtedly. But they joined this calling willingly. They chose. They chose to go. And why does that matter? Why does their willingness matter? Because when we choose to do something, we give up the right to complain. We give up the right to complain. They weren't forced into this calling. They could have stayed. Verse 25 through 36 lists some of the places that people stayed outside of Jerusalem. They sound fine. They could have done the same thing. They could have chosen one of those towns to make their home in. But they willingly chose to follow God's invitation to make their home in the city. And guys, you know this. It's so easy to complain and to grumble about how hard it is to make your home in this city, isn't it? To talk all the time about the housing prices going up, to be frustrated by the Muni or the BART, to be annoyed by government bureaucracy, to be frustrated with the school lottery. And uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about these things or work for a better city. We should definitely be working for the common good of our neighbors and our city. But if we're really honest with ourselves, when we complain about these things in the Bay Area, is it usually because we just have this massive burden for our neighbor? We just care so much about their well-being? Or are we just reinforcing our own frustrations? Are we building little walls of resentment and entitlement in our hearts? I know that sometimes what I'm doing, I have five kids. Uh, my oldest is 15. My youngest turned five this week. It's as crazy as you can imagine it. Like, you guys are like, this dude is insane. Yes, it's truly insane. Um, you know, I work a full-time ministry job, and I have a few part-time jobs. On top of that, I do, so we can continue to afford to live here. It's not easy. I tell people all the time, if you're going to live in San Francisco, you're probably making a bad financial decision. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not, I'm not joking. Like, undoubtedly, there's another city you could move that would be cheaper, and some company would be excited for you to move there, or you would just save money on rent. It's a bad financial decision to be there, but our life is about more than finances, right? Uh, we feel called to be here, our family, and so we work hard. And studying this text genuinely was encouraging to me as a reminder that we do that willingly. We don't have to. We choose to, so I should stop complaining so much. And when we agree to follow God's call, whatever that is, right, whatever that is, if that's making your home in San Francisco, if that's obeying God in your singleness, if that's committing to financial generosity, we do this willingly. God doesn't force us and so we can't grumble, grumble. We shouldn't complain. We shouldn't mope around. We chose this life. If you are a believer, God called you and you willingly responded to that call. And we can't therefore re resent the life that he provides for us and the, and the life that he calls us to live. I don't know what that means for you specifically right now today. I, I really don't, but I think it means something. What has God called you to that you need to willingly and joyfully submit to him? What do you need to stop complaining about? What do you need to talk with your small group about and confess and say, man, uh, I don't know why I'm complaining about this. God obviously calls us to do it. It doesn't do me any good to complain about it. Will you keep me accountable to stop complaining? When God calls us, let us remember that we chose to follow him willingly. All right, friends? Number two, second thing God desires from people who are making their home in the city, God desires a valiant people, a valiant people people. 
Multiple times in this chapter, Nehemiah, he lists some of the different families or tribes or people that are moving into Jerusalem. He describes them as valiant, people of valor. The text says in verse 6, they're valiant men. Verse 7, it calls the people men of valor. Verse 14, it says these people who moved to Jerusalem were mighty men of valor. I think that goes for the women as well, just kind of one of the ways they describe the whole of people. And valor is not a word that I use very often. I don't know about you, if you're talking about, I really like this guy, he's very valorous or something. I doubt that's what is happening. And the word valor, though, is a really cool word, the word that's translated from Hebrew. It's chayil. Uh, I just wanted to make the ch sound. Uh, It's a pretty great word, and it connotes this idea of strength or excellence or capacity. And these people who followed God and, and followed God's call to make their home in the city, they were capable. They were strong. They were able people. And they needed to be because this wasn't an easy task. It required the strong, the valiant, the chayil kind of people. And one author, he gets at why the people needed to be strong and capable and make their home when they made their home in their city. Uh, He says this, his name is David Guzik. He says, these are the reasons that people need to be valiant and strong. He gives four. To live in Jerusalem, you had to reorder your view of material things. To live in the city, you had to reorder your view of material things. You have to give up land in this previous region. You had to take up some kind of new business in Jerusalem. Second thing he says is this, to live in Jerusalem, you had to rearrange your social priorities. Hear that like this, to live in this city, you have to rearrange your social priorities. Certainly this meant for the Jews leaving friends and family behind. Uh, It it meant they had to make new neighbors, they had to forge new relationships. Third thing Guzik says is this, to live in Jerusalem, you had to have a mind to endure the problems in the city. Hear this for you. To live in the Bay Area, you have to have a mind to endure the problems in this city. Jerusalem had been a ghost town for 70 years, and now it was basically rebuilt, and it was just like a slightly nicer ghost town. Uh, It didn't look all that glorious. The city needed work. Their muni system was terrible. Okay? Last thing, to to live in Jerusalem, you had to have, uh, to live knowing that you were a target for the enemy. If you live in San Francisco, you have to know that you are a target for the enemy. There are strong walls built to protect you, but since Jerusalem was now this notable city with these rebuilt walls, that might actually attract stronger enemies. That old village life was nice, but not in much danger from enemies. And Jerusalem would, would, would represent sort of an escalation uh, of, their, of, the, of the likelihood that they would be a target. We have to think of that as well as we live here. This was not an easy task. Making one's home in the city wasn't for the faint of heart. It would require not only willingness, but also hustle and strength and capacity. And the same is true for being in the Bay Area. It's not easy. It's one of the things that I I love and hate about this city, right? It it keeps you on your toes. Most people have to work hard and come here and to stay here. You have to have valor and strength. It, It forces the best out of you, but it can also just be exhausting as well, right? Our strength isn't enough. It can't, has to come from somewhere other than ourselves. We need God's strength. We need his valor to accomplish this task. And, and friends, if you're here at Bay City starting this church, the first year of church, it requires the same thing to start a church. It requires strength, capacity, strong and capable people coming together, working hard, innovating, hustling, sacrificing together. Uh, our family have been a part of helping start churches uh, in Thailand and in Japan and here in San Francisco, um, and, and it is not an easy task. And so when God calls the people to start a new church, it's going to be difficult. It's like what they're doing, starting, restarting this city. It's a challenging endeavor. And so we need strength and valor, and we need to depend on God for that. 
Um, this past Friday is, is uh, International Women's Day. So, you know, props, props to the ladies, which is this chance to acknowledge and encourage the contributions of women in our society, to champion their strength and our society's need for their help and their contribution. And the Bible, it has this tribute to women in Proverbs 31, if you might be familiar with it. It begins in verse 10. And, and this, this passage is specifically about a married woman, but I don't want you to get uh, uh, annoyed by that. There, there are many other great examples of single women in the Bible as well. But, but guess how this tribute to women opens? It says, an excellent, chayil, valiant wife. Let me read the whole thing. It's pretty long. But listen for the various ways this woman exhibits strength, valor, and excellence. An excellent, chayil, wife. Who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. And she is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are covered or clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, chayil, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This is the kind of valiant women we need. In our city, in this church, in businesses, and in homes. And ladies, your contribution and strength are critical as we seek to build the city God calls us to build. And men, likewise, we are to live with similar valor and strength together as we make our homes in the city. Okay, last thing uh, God is looking for and desiring from a people who are trying to make their home in the city. Number three, God desires a diverse people. God desires a diverse people. You notice the many names, the multiple tribes that are listed in Nehemiah chapter 11? They're people from all different families. They're people who will fulfill different roles. The text says that some will be priests, that some will serve in the temple, some will serve in governance, some will serve as gatekeepers, there will be artists and singers. Rebuilding Jerusalem is going to require a diverse group of people. They'll come from different backgrounds, and they'll bring different gifts to the table. And as they go and they make their homes in Jerusalem, this diverse group of people will need to come together. Most of them, they've probably been living among their family tribes, and now they would need to lay down their tribal identities and allegiances to join as co-citizens of this new city. And let me remind you uh, that these neighbors, they, they, they need to... to um, to learn how to be with people who are different. They have to overcome their, their biases and their differences to seek the good of one another. Uh, it's the same today. It's the same in this church. San Francisco is one of the most diverse cities in the world. People of all different kinds of backgrounds have and continue to make their home here. 
And Bay City Church has always envisioned itself to be and sought to be a diverse church. Again, for the third time today, let me remind you, this church desires to be a diverse family of people dedicated to encountering Jesus, pursuing Jesus, and proclaiming Jesus. That's a specific calling. You can find other churches that are seeking to encounter, pursue, proclaim Jesus without seeking to be intentionally diverse. But God has called Bay City to intentional diversity. And I've been around diversity long enough to know that it requires patience and listening and sacrifice of our comfort by everybody. As you gather, not just on a Sunday, but during the week in homes, as you gather in the dinner, around the dinner table of people who look differently, who don't share your background. And as a church and as an individual, you don't have to accept this, uh, you don't have to accept this calling. You have a choice. You can go to church, you can find one where people look just like you, but I think you'll miss out on the blessing of diversity. The blessing of living today in a community that will reflect what heaven will one day look like. The blessing of showing our world that what makes us different is not greater than what makes us the same. Sadly, our city is becoming less diverse. It's becoming ethnically, economically more homogenous. But wouldn't it be great if the churches in our city didn't follow that trend? That at places like Bay City or Redemption or Reality or Epic or Canvas or First Baptist or any number of churches, that these churches didn't follow the lead of our city towards displacement and cultural similarity, but we showed our city how radically different people can come together from different cultures in unity and common mission. What if that's the gift we gave this city? That's one of the blessings that you definitely get to be a part of at Bay City. And even though it's sometimes difficult, you are the better for it. And you're setting an example for other churches and for our city in this area. So thank you. Now, I want to wrap up with this question, this last question. Why is God calling people to make their home in the city? Why is God calling people to make their home in the city? God, he called the Jews to make their home in Jerusalem so they could join the movement and mission of God in restoring the city that was the center of Jewish life and culture. This is the city that God would eventually do his most central and important work. It's where Jesus would come and, and as a new kind of king, where he would die and three days later would rise again, he would resurrect. Jerusalem is where Jesus began a new kingdom that transcends political boundaries, that surpasses ethnic and national identities. It's from Jerusalem that Jesus sends his followers out, telling them to go and make disciples of all nations. That happens from this rebuilt city, the city that the people of Nehemiah rebuilt and repopulated. God, he's calling people to make their home in San Francisco and other cities of the world so they can participate in that same mission, in Jesus' mission. We live here as believers so that we can share with others in word and in action that Jesus' new kingdom is greater than any city they could live in. We make our home in this city so that we can point people to another one, so that we can tell people and be a part of telling people that there is a God who calls wayward people from all different parts of the world, from every different aspect of society, from every tongue, tribe, and nation to make their home with him. God's call to return to Jerusalem in the, for the Jews in Nehemiah's day and his call for us to make a home in San Francisco are shadows and precursors of a final home, a new city that God will one day establish, a city where once wayward people return to live with him for all eternity. That's the vision of God. In Revelation chapter 21, it's the second to last chapter in the Bible, and the author describes a vision of this new city, this final home for the people of God. This is where he calls us to ultimately, this is where God calls us to ultimately make our home with him. This is the city he's calling us to in the end. 
This is Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And this is Jesus. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Friends, God is calling you to make your home in a city. And for now, that city is probably San Francisco. But God's ultimate calling is for you to make your home with him in this new eternal city through willing faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful that you call us home, that you call wayward sinners, that you call uh, broken people, that you call idolaters and disobedient people home, and that you build a home for us, a home while we're here on this earth, in the church, a community and a family that we get to have together. But God, that you also call us to an eternal home with you an eternal kingdom that will never fade, that will never pass away, where there'll be justice, where there will be no sin, no pain, no death. And so, God, we look forward to participating and living in that city with you one day. Thank you for calling us home. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.